Hello and welcome to the Silver King's War. I'm Michael Sievers, the writer, producer, and creator of this podcast series about my father's Second World War as a B-26 bombardier. Today we continue in the epilogue for Dearest Ones, the letters that our hero, the Silver King, wrote to his family throughout the war. It's January of 1945, a new year, and the king is ready to acknowledge his hard work as the third year of his war begins. As you know, the Silver King rode with the United States Army Air Corps' 9th Air Force, which operated Martin Marauder bomber squadrons that included designated planes known as Pathfinders. And these planes flew in secret operations used for night and bad weather missions. They marked targets for heavy bombers using the oboe system that was supplied by the Royal Air Force. The oboe system operated through electronic signal beams from separate towers in Dover and Cromer, England. The beams created a circular path 35 yards wide that intersected over the target. As the marauders maintained course, the beams delivered an audible hum. On the target approach, Four lights illuminated the pilot and bombardier panels. The first light was reaching the initial point. The second, when the bomb bay doors would open. Three, when one minute remained to the target. And four, when they released the bombs. Pathfinder squadrons were based at A-72 at Perone with the King's 397th unit. The planes and the missions provided the 9th Air Force with 50% of its ability to bomb targets in the winter weather of 1944 and 45. In my research on the Silver King's War, I came upon the oboe system and the use of the Martin Marauder as pathfinders and found the research and the information fascinating. And one of the things that I thought about during this time when I continued to review the Silver King's flight jacket of all of his missions, that there seemed to be some gaps when nothing was recorded. So it's unclear to this day, at least for me, as to whether or not, and perhaps the King was in part sharing his role and doing his job when called upon from time to time to fly Pathfinder missions. Stanley wrote 14 letters to his family during January. Many of those letters, as always, were descriptive and informative to the extent that he could share information. And in part, they were due to a very bad stretch of weather during much of January, which kept his guys on the ground. The king wrote on January 1, 1945, to his family, Dearest ones, the beginning of a new year, and I'm sure all of us have one hope in common, that this year will be brighter than the past one. This was indeed a noisy place. 
With our surplus of whiskey, I'm quite sure everyone was drunk. Most of us began drinking early in the afternoon, and by midnight I was totally blind. It was the drunkest I had been in a long time, and I've been paying for it all day. My mind is made up not to touch another drop, at least for a week or so. At the stroke of midnight, it sounded as though a small battle had begun here in the area. Everyone was firing his pistol. The noise was deafening. Unfortunately, one of the fellows in his drunken stupor shot himself in the foot. However, it wasn't serious, and he's okay today. He was the only casualty. Outside of that, we had a very quiet evening. I'm sure the king enjoyed sharing the shoot 'em up story with his folks, and he, at the same time, was telling them how grateful he was for all the goodies that they have been sending. He also acknowledged their letter of December 10th, grateful to know that Leona and Margie are doing well and anxious at the same time for more direct information from his sister. Leona has been good about writing to the king, but he continues to worry and wants to know that everything is good. Stanley wrote four letters to his family during the first week of January, describing how much he's enjoying the packages from home, regretting that he has to write on very small pieces of stationery, and wondering what's new. He's lonely as well. He writes, It seems like I've been away for years. I've almost forgotten what it feels like to be a civilian. As much as I hate to admit it, I seem to be more homesick than ever before. With being idle so much, my mind only thinks of you and home. I even dream about it at night. But I'll not complain as long as I am warm and not hungry. Please take good care of yourselves and keep well. And please keep writing as often as possible. Love to Ida. I love you and miss you, Stan. Stanley's day-to-day can seem to him dreary, in part because he's bored, and he's bored because the weather is so difficult. For him, staying busy, reading letters from home, enjoying anchovies, sardines, and delicious candy, along with playing cards, sharing stories with his buddies, and cocktails as well are all contributing to his welfare in the middle of winter. And another bit of good news includes a beautiful night flight that was his seventh mission. Stanley finishes his first week of writing with some good news from John Sherry, who's doing well and enjoying letters from home about his new daughter. Stanley writes, We've had just about every kind of weather there is, rain, snow, and sleet. The ground here has been white for a week now. It isn't terribly cold, nice and crisp to go walking in. I never thought I would see the day when I enjoyed walking. With nothing else to do, though, it offers some deviation from the monotony. Believe me, 
when I get back to the States, I'll be the easiest person in the world to satisfy. And the king, doing his usual burying a lead, writes, As much as I despise the army routine, I have filled out an application to be put into the regular army when the war is over. There is nothing definite about it, as I might not be accepted, and even so, I can refuse it if I change my mind. I applied with a look into the future, seeing as how I haven't a job to return to, nor any prospects of one. It at least offers the chance of making a living. I was just wondering what you think about this, although I have plenty of time to decide. No more news. I do hope this finds you well and not too lonesome. I'm fine and thinking of you constantly because I love you and miss you with all my heart. God bless you, my dears. Stan. Stanley, in his third year of war, is thinking about the future. He's hoping to be more optimistic about what's ahead, although he's uncertain that there's a job waiting for him outside the army. Thus, his explanation of why he applied to join the regular army after the war. The Silver King is lamenting a slight stall in his warrior life, and then he receives a great jolt of energy from the family. He writes to them on January 12, 1945, Dearest ones, this morning on my bed I found your sweet cable. Needless to say, the thrill it gave me. Honestly, a million dollars couldn't have succeeded in accomplishing the tremendous lift in my heart, mind, and soul, as your few simple words did. Upon reading it, I felt as though you were standing here. I felt as though I could almost reach out and touch you. Perhaps these feelings are so, because I know behind the words are the kindest, sweetest, and most wonderful persons in the entire world. I know that these wishes, simple as they are, come from the very hearts of you, and what possibly more could I ask for? Believe me, I love you with all my heart and worship the very ground you walk on. Your cable arrived last night, but because of being on duty again, I didn't get it until this morning. I have no idea when it was sent, but I suppose it was before the first. I'm probably lucky I received it at all, and deeply grateful. The king continued, I received a very welcome package tonight. As you see, it contained the much-needed stationery. Besides this, it had cigarettes, soap, and magazines, but best of all, a box of Mother's Delicious Candy. The candy has really made a hit with the fellows, naturally. As for me, I haven't tasted anything so good since leaving the States. The box was mailed from Chicago. If you sent it, dears, thanks a million. I shall write Leona also to make sure you all know how much it is appreciated. We've had a great deal of snow lately. There is a good foot of it on the ground. 
It has also turned bitter cold, has gone down as far as nine below. As you may well guess, I'm spending most of my time by the fire, and believe it or not, I'm wearing long drawers. I sincerely hope you're well and not too lonesome. Please take care of yourselves, and please write often. I'm fine and thinking of you constantly. Love to Ida. God bless you, dears. I love you and miss you, Stan. This letter, the sixth that the king wrote in the first 12 days of January 1945, reveals an underlying theme in the king's success as an aviator. His parents have sent him a cable wishing him well in the new year. And unfortunately, I've never had a chance to read it. But I imagine it was filled with great words of love and support and confidence in their son. The timing of the cable, based on the new year, of course, was essential to lifting the curtain on the king's low spirits. It gave him new energy to refocus on his job and the war. His letter displayed an incredible depth of love and compassion for his folks. Each time I read it and the others that are so full of his gratefulness for what the family means to him, I'm amazed at how deep they are. And as the king thanks his parents for their sweet words and the delicious goodies in the latest package that he's sharing with his guys. We have reached the end of this episode of the epilogue for Dearest Ones, the letters that Stanley wrote to his family throughout the war. And this is part 26. And you are listening to The Silver King's War.